Absolutely unusual. The sun. <laughs> we did know it, you know, it, it rose every, uh, you know, day, but, but somehow it's been a little bit hidden. So I'm so grateful, so grateful that we have a little bit of sun today and, and that you chose to come. Every single week, at least for the last 24 weeks or so, we've been opening up the Gospel of John. It has captivated me. The Apostle John continues to inspire me in just telling me a little bit about who God is and how he interacted with people. You see, John has painted quite a portrait of Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, King, Savior. He is passionate about restoring broken relationships with the religious, with the outcasts, with the disabled, with those groping and struggling with the meaning of life, well, even with life itself. Jesus offers water that will quench a thirst, bread that will, well, satisfy your hunger, and light that will guide and direct you, especially during those dark times. No wonder John is enamored with Jesus. John had an agenda, though. And his agenda, we've been reading just about every week we've opened this book, and it's in John chapter 20, verse 31. He wanted every one of us to make sure that we would continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the Messiah today, the Savior the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. One of the things you're going to get over and over and over in the book of John is that John just wants everyone, and you're going to see it today, to understand, well, life ought to be abundant. Life ought to, well, drive us to an eternity where we will be able to see and experience God in a new and a fresh way. Well, we're in John chapter 10. So if you want to open up your Bibles, if you don't know where that is, you can look in the contents or open up your flat screens to John chapter 10. And we're going to start with the first 16 verses. And I've asked my friend Gary to read for us. So if you don't have a Bible, you can look up in front and follow along as Gary reads John chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheephold, rather than going through the gate, most surely most surely be a thief or a robber. But the one who enters enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come in. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't know a, they won't follow a stranger they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus 
used this illustration, didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to kill, to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees the sheep coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not in the sheepfold. fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this rich text. We know literally these were in the last months of your life here on the planet. And you were trying in every way possible to be able to draw people to yourself, to be able to help them understand how unbelievably loving you are and gracious and that you desire for each and every one to experience life. We know, God, that you sent your Son because you loved us. We pray, Father, for not only our church and as we open up your word, but for all the churches in the area here. We are so grateful, Lord, that we have a plethora of churches that are teaching your word. We think of Emmanuel in Waukegan and Grace Point in Mundelein. And right here, Father, the Fox Lake Community Church, we pray, Lord, as your word is opened today, that there would be transformation, that people would leave ignited and convicted and encouraged. We pray even as we open up our text today, the text that was just read, that you would open our eyes. Lord, uh, most of us are not sheep farmers, and most of us don't even understand sheep. But somehow this was a metaphor that was so common. Would you open our eyes in Jesus' name? Amen. I'm not sure if this was a sermon, but technically it feels a little bit like one. Jesus is going to give an introduction and then focus on two points. First, the introduction, verses 1 through 5. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheephold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus is talking to a crowd that is so very, very familiar with sheep, shepherds, sheep pens, and thieves. Throughout Israel's history, shepherding has always been a familiar part of everyday life. The people all knew that sheep are the most helpless, defenseless, strain and dirty of animals. They require oversight, leading, rescue, and cleaning, or they will die. If you think of what I just described, and that we are considered sheep, ooh, Lord, couldn't you have perhaps uh, had us be lions? Or something a little bit more fierce? No. I'm, I'm going to liken you to an animal group that's actually quite pathetic. Literally, they won't eat the right things. They will get lost. They never clean themselves. Eh, kind of like third grade boys. But as you go through, you go, you are so pathetic. And so Jesus said, and God used sheep to illustrate us. Jesus describes the familiar, the sheep pen, the sheep, the shepherds, and the thieves. And let me just paint this picture. And again, we don't need it so very, very vivid. But the truth was in Israel, there were a whole lot of sheep pens. And some just held one little flock. But many of them closer to the larger cities and larger cities are not millions back then, but at least would hold two or three or five or eight different flocks. They would be made out of wood fencing, or sometimes if they're really classy, they would almost be caves, or they would make some kind of mortar walls around them. But literally at the end of the day, after all the feeding, they would herd their sheep into this place. And, and if it was a public sheep pen, well, they would pay a gatekeeper. And when the shepherd would come the next morning, so amazing, he would call out, he'd whistle, he'd sing a song, whatever the sheep are used to, and they'd come marching out. But only his. And then he would take them and make sure that they would well, have rest and have the best pasture and go to the freshest of all water. He would also watch out for predators at this time. Well, sheep were loyal 
Sheep knew the shepherd's voice, and sheep only felt good about their own shepherd. And there's something called thieves, or bad shepherds. Thieves were people that uh, just basically wanted the sheep for their own means. They didn't really care about the sheep. They didn't care about taking care of the sheep. And sheep would normally run away from the thieves. Well, Shepherd, just in this little introduction, you find out a few things. First of all, they really do care for the sheep. He knows or she knows that without the care for the sheep, the sheep will not last long. They just won't. He knows all the sheep by name. He leads them, literally walks before them, rather than in many places drive the sheep. He doesn't. He leads them. Now just a note, and it's probably not that important, but I, I think again you wonder why shepherds cared so much for the sheep, especially if they were just going to have like lamb chops later that day, you know. But for the most part, sheep in Israel were raised for wool. Unlike many of the farmers in Europe who raised sheep for food, shepherds, shepherds in the first century Judea tended sheep for their wool. So the animals grazed and grew thick mats of fleece, which could be sheared off and sold for a significant amount of money. So you wanted to care for these animals. Now to be quite honest, as you read this text, and as we had Gary read for us, I think Jesus, right after verse 5, would have jumped to verse 11 if it weren't for the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were there, and they were not following. So Jesus changes the direction a bit and boldly proclaims something like, I am the gate. He gave this shepherd, shepherd pen illustration. And then as he was talking, ready to jump into what a good shepherd is, he saw the blank stairs. Now, this is the third of seven I am statements in John's gospel. He's already said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Now he says, I am the gate. In just a little bit, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. Later on, he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. He's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And very last I am statement in the book of John, which is all emphatic, I am the true grapevine. Now, I think Jesus changes direction because there isn't much time for the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to say something because oh, we as evangelicals and your pastor especially loves to beat up these religious fanatics. We do. But you know what? Jesus had a different perspective. And this was just one of the things that shot out to me as I just kind of opened up God's Word this week. But I think Jesus changes the direction because he actually loves the Pharisees. He is going to die for them. And literally, he wants these religious fanatics to experience life also. 
You know, every one of us, when people don't see the way we see, or maybe we might even put them in the enemy camp. Um, when Jesus radically shares with us to pray for our enemies, like it just blows most of us away. <laughs> Why would I do that? Even how do I pray for my enemy? But Jesus so loved the world. Those that were ornery. Those that were really religious. Sometimes we forget about that. In fact, some of us, because we have, well, entered a relationship so long ago in our lives, forget how really much of a rascal we were before we met Jesus. And even some of us came out of great theological camps and, and were very, very religious. But we soon came to a place and saw that we, well, are separated from the Almighty. And that by His grace, He extended the gift of salvation to all who believe. Well, as hard as Jesus was on the Pharisees, I think as things are getting toward the end, as, as the cross is getting clearer, He's going, I don't think I'm going to have much time for these guys. I'm going to try a whole completely different approach because I really want them to experience life. In fact, right here, I almost feel like Jesus is a game host. You know, one of those, there's a couple different doors here, Mr. Pharisee. I want you to pick the right door. Because if you don't pick the right door, you will not experience abundant life or eternal life. And he says this. He reiterates the vital truth in verse 7. In verse 9, he says, I am the gate. I am the door. And he added this promise. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. What's so rich is we understand all that Jesus has done and what salvation really brings. There's three aspects of salvation. And if you've been part of our ministry here, we have talked about these different aspects or different facets of salvation at different times. But really, I think what Jesus is talking about is the complete package right here. If you come through the door, you'll be saved from the past penalty of sin, which separates you from God. You'll be saved from the power of sin, which strangles you in everyday life. And you will be saved from the presence of sin, which will eventually be heaven, when everything is perfect. So he says, I want you to go through this gate. I am the gate. Go through there so you will experience life, Pharisees. And if anybody knew what life wasn't, it was these religious fanatics. Because they kept doing all the rules and, oh, they never did enough. And they never understood joy. And there was hardly ever grace extended. And Jesus saw that and wanted them to experience God's love and forgiveness and salvation. In fact, we find in our text that there's a sense of freedom, safety, and blessing for his sheep. 
They go in and out freely, always having access to God's blessing and protection, and never fearing from any harm or danger. Contrary to the thief, Jesus came that believers may have life, abundant life, full, meaningful life right here on the planet, and eventually eternal life when your eyes are shut. I think Jesus right here, right now, actually pleads. He says, my religious friends, choose life. Choose the life. I am offering. Oh. Then Jesus jumps actually to the next point, which I really think is the main point, and he says this I am the good shepherd. Now, to us, again, that sounds like a great thing. You know, we have all these different, well, scenarios, but Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Shepherd. And he says it twice again. And remember, any time in the scriptures, once anything said, that's pretty important. But if Jesus or anyone repeats the same line, the same words twice, it's like a megaphone. It's like saying, hey, don't miss this part. But look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. They know me. Whoa. You see, in the Old Testament, a shepherd was the image of an ideal leader in king. To us, many of us, you know, we don't understand all the Old Testament or, or maybe we just haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. But back in the first century, if you were a Jew and you were an Orthodox Jew and, and you were looking for the Messiah, remember most of the families during this time, by the time their kids were 11, 12, or 13, had already memorized the first five books of the Old Testament including Leviticus, you know. That's a tough one to memorize, all right? But not only that, they would continually go on and over and over and over. These traditions would be shared and God's word would be presented. And the synagogue was the absolute central part of their life. So they understood really clear that, well, in the Old Testament, God was the supreme shepherd. And one of the passages, and and I've just got the reference up there, and I encourage you to put this in your notes. I'm going to read it for you. But it is an amazing description of God. One of the blessings each one of us have every time we come and open up the Scriptures is saying, hey God, how are you going to change my perspective of you? You know, God, I'm a little clouded. I'm a little jaded. I kind of think this way. How do you really respond? Who are you, God? And in this text, it opens up wide who God is. In Ezekiel, starting in chapter 34, in verse 11, this is what Ezekiel the prophet is sharing. In fact, I'm going to read out of Ezekiel a little bit. I'm going to read out of Isaiah. I'm going to read out of Jeremiah. And all these prophets 
really we're talking to the smaller part of Judah. Already Israel was sent away and, and the ten most evil of the tribes, they were gone. But they had just been captured. Babylon had ruled over them or it was just about to happen in all three of these prophets and they just spoke truth and wanted the children of Israel well, either on their way to captivity or in captivity in some cases about who God is because they might have forgotten. But here it is, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. This is God talking. I will be like a shepherd. This is God talking, looking for his sh- a scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel and from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on high hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep. I will give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, of course. I will feed them with justice. Again, to us, it might not be a big deal. To sheep, whoa, God made some amazing promises here. But not only did God come across as a good shepherd, caring, wanting to care and encourage Israel, which again, they're perfect sheep, they often didn't listen and went their own way. But the Messiah is also a king shepherd. This is some amazing descriptions of Jesus. And let me just go back in Ezekiel 34, starting at verse 23. And I will set over them, this is God talking, one shepherd, my servant David. Really, the best way to translate this, he's not talking about David, but he's talking about David's lineage. All right. And so really what he's saying, I'm going to eventually set over my people, a shepherd. He's going to come from David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And this shepherd will be a prince among my people. And I, the Lord, have spoken. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, Isaiah writes this, Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry his lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep and their young. All the way through Jeremiah and even in Matthew, Jesus is portrayed as the good shepherd. So he started off with this introduction of the first five verses. 
He was going to go, I believe, right into verse 11 and say, okay, we're talking about shepherds and sheep and all this. I want you to know I am the good shepherd. All right? He gives the heart of his message. And he says this, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Shouting with a megaphone every time John uses this I am, it's just this billboard that's happening. He says this, you know what a good shepherd does? Good shepherd sacrifices his life. That's actually the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. You know, it is. In fact, as you read through this, you might even put in the back of your minds, um, this is exactly what the position of an elder or a pastor is in a church. A good elder or pastor is one that sacrifices his life for the sheep. And do you want to know the difference between a good elder and a good pastor? How about that? So I'm letting you know, like, if you should fire me real soon, okay? The difference is that person gives up his life. Oh, the good shepherd. You know, in your bulletins, when you received it, there's one handout in there. And it is just a plethora of all the things that Jesus was called. But out of all the things Jesus was called, my guess is the good shepherd is the most endearing. It's the most amazing of all the things. And it was the thing that drew our, their people to Jesus. And you can use that for a study later on or, or whatever. But a good shepherd, he's going to sacrifice in order to protect from predators, from the elements, and from disease. It's important. A good shepherd will also sacrifice to care for the sheep. You know, it's hard not to go to Psalm 23. And I was... Um, i got to be honest, I, I wasn't going to go to Psalm 23, but I had it in my notes. And the truth is, Psalm 23 is like, wow, one of the favorite texts of all the scriptures. You know, this past week, my grandson had an opportunity to be able to say a poem in school. And he and his dad were thinking about the different poems, and they came up with Psalm 23 that he was going to able to say in his classroom in third grade to his classmates. And I just, as I was talking with little Joey, I looked little Joey right in the eye and said, you know what, Joey? I don't even know if you know this yet, but your grandpa has used Psalm 23 more than any other scripture in all of the Bible. He looked at me. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I use it all the time, Joey. This is a great passage to memorize. And you know what's cool? Is that I don't care. Maybe if you're not part of the church, you only hear this at funerals, you know. Or every once in a while. But I use this all the time. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have any other needs. 
He, he brings me to lush pastures. He brings me to the great waters. He restores my soul. Yeah. And even times when I go through, and I will, really dark valleys, He's going to be with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. And I'm going to someday, well, eat with my enemies. My cup, it just overflows. He's going to anoint my head with oil, which sounds a little odd, but it's really good for sheep. He said, surely goodness and mercy. Hesed is the Hebrew word. Will follow you all the days of your life. And this is the place you're going to spend for all of eternity with your good shepherd. And in this text, he also says he cares for all other sheep. And I think, again, this is a beautiful reference for Gentiles, to be quite honest. And again, we're not trying to put people into different groups, but the truth was the Hebrew people really thought they were the only people on this planet. Everyone else were like (laughs) second class. But Jesus over and over again broke the mold. He just said, hey, I came. I'm going to be the good shepherd. I want to give you life. I want to provide for you. I want to give you the greatest pasture, the cleanest water. I want you to feel safe. I want you to know that when you need to rest, I'm going to help you rest. You don't know any of those things because you're a sheep. And so am I. But God says, I'm going to be your good shepherd. Oh. So they trust. The sheep trust the good shepherd because the good shepherd is good for them. But what I have to tell you is this. Jesus tells this story in the midst of bad or self-centered shepherds. We call them Pharisees. And in verse chapter, nine, or chapter 10, verses 19 to 21. I'd like to read this. And when he said these things, this whole sermon to the people, again, they were divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why should we listen to that man? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? Every time the Pharisees got together, they were Well, separated. They were disturbed. There were lines drawn. Some of them sort of believed and others weren't, but they were divided. But Jesus was talking about good shepherds because there were bad shepherds. In these texts, um, I'm going to start in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. And this is what Jeremiah the prophet is talking about the leaders at that time, the religious leaders of that time. And he says this, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people? Jeremiah says this, The shepherds of my sheep. For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they're expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds, the bad shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. 
Now I will pour out my judgment on you for the evil you have done for them. I'll tell you, you want to read a scary passage, you go to Ezekiel chapter 34. And you see what the prophet Ezekiel is saying about those religious leaders who are leading the people down the road of destruction. Wow. You know what, as we continue down John chapter 10, at verse 22, if you mark your Bibles or write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to do this here. But uh, again, this all seems like it just happens right in a row. But at the end of verse 21 to when verse 22 begins, it's probably two or three months later, okay? So Jesus gave this unbelievable sermon. He poured his heart out and somehow leaves. A couple months later, he comes back into the temple area. This is verse 22. And when he comes back, this is probably two to three months before his crucifixion. All right? We are getting closer and closer. As he walks into this temple area, basically, and you can, you can read from this text, the Pharisees say this, are you the Messiah? Would you finally just tell me, are you the Messiah or aren't you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Because you know what? We're so confused. And Jesus gives this whole mini-sermon. And he says, are you kidding? I've told you already I'm the Messiah. I have shared with you that I have done the works of the Messiah. You guys all know the Old Testament. Everything that I have done points and proves that I am the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah. But you know what? You are never, ever, ever going to know it. You want to know why? And this was so hard for them to hear. He said, you're not my sheep. You're not my sheep. And then what Jesus talks about, it's one of the greatest passages. If you're in Awana, you will learn this verse. It is one of the texts, again, that I use so much when especially kids are struggling. Well, if I sin, do I lose my salvation? Because, man, I'm not such a good kid. I know I know Jesus. I know I'm part of his family, but you know what? There's times I'm going to lie. I know I'm going to lie, and when I lie, am I going to hell? No. You're not. Say, Rick, don't teach that. Don't teach once you're saved, you're always saved. That You know, our kids are going to go. They're going <laughs> to... You know what they're going to do, Rick. They may. I don't know. But I know this, is that once you're part of God's family, you're always part of God's family. And once you're part of God's sheep, you're one of his sheep. You're always part of God's sheep. Now, let me just say this, and we're not going to go, this is for another sermon. But let's face it, if you go off the reservation, you choose not to listen to God, there are horrific ramifications for that. There are. Because God loves you and he's going to come after you and he's going to chastise you and he's going to spank you or give you a time out in today's culture. Something, all right? 
But I know this, is that once you're a sheep, you're always a sheep. And in John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29, this is unbelievable. Jesus, again, he's talking to these guys. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is what my sheep do. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Nobody can snatch them. Remember, we're talking about thieves. Nobody can grab them. Nobody can take them, for my Father is given to me. And I just want you to know, my dad is more powerful than anything and anybody. Nobody can snatch him out of my Father's hand. Sweet. Isn't that sweet? Again, you mark your Bibles, mark this one. Put boxes around it. Put arrows toward it. Folks, there are so many times that the enemy is going to use doubt. But once you're part of God's family, you are part of God's family. Here's my question, just as I end. Why wouldn't you want to do life with the good shepherd. Why? Why would you want to be a sheep out on your own? What makes you think you're going to pick the right food, the right shelter? You're not even going to clean yourself. You're going to be so infested with things that are gross. God says, I am your good shepherd. I desire more than anything for you to experience abundant living now. You're going to have an amazing life forever and ever and ever and ever. Why would you choose the wrong gate? You know, right now, there's some folks that have... Oh, They've been part of our church for a long time. Maybe we're rebellious sheep. Maybe we really think, even though that's our good shepherd, we don't have to listen to him. We won't find life in him. We'll find out our own way. And that's when you end up in a ravine. That's when you end up in a place it's miserable. You know, I don't know if you're a Pharisee falling in that camp. I, I, I don't know if you're just kind of a normal dude or do that. I know one thing. Jesus wants to be your good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the blessings. I thank you for all that you have given me. God, we are just so grateful for your love for us. Lord, we are like sheep. And the prophet Isaiah says that we have all gone astray. We don't think we need a shepherd and we do our own thing. But God, we do need you. We need a relationship with you. We need to be connected with you every single day. And, and God, I pray that we would listen to the Good Shepherd. That we would respond when you teach us.
and that we would be heralds of all those around us pointing others to the good shepherd we know. We love you, Lord. Give us more of your heart. Help us, dear Father, understand how abundant life looks and that we can have it. In your name, amen.